So as I was, um, Leonard was, we had planned on Leonard going out of town, um, and when I was asked to preach, he gave me the option of kind of going into Luke chapter 16, but then uh, I, I'm preparing for this passage in another context, and I thought, this is a good, this is a good, um, good set of verses anyway, and especially this, the men's Bible study was excellent this past Tuesday, just getting into um, conversations about how we battle sin in our lives and how we, um, how we press forward and whether or not the Spirit, what, what it means that the Spirit is helping us and, and whether or not, and what it means to grieve the Spirit, whether or not He's retreating. And I spent all my time listening and thinking, oh, I think I'll make some application or it gave me some things to think about um, during that process because I think everybody who's in the Christian life is always struggling with the issue of you know, um, the, uh, uh, the reality of our continued sinfulness and in some cases not knowing um, what that means in terms of whether or not God has lost all uh, love for them or whether or not God is uh, still pleased with them, whether or not the Spirit's just kind of finally thrown up his hands and said, I'm done with you, I can't stand this anymore, and when you figured it out, let me know and I'll be back in your life and that sort of thing. Or even um, those of us who came from charismatic contexts, kind of seeing the Spirit as some sort of like... Um, you know, lightning rod that as long as you know what you're doing, you can kind of bring it in power and that sort of thing. Um, and this verse actually it gave me, it's one of the reasons I kind of chose the title in two ways, a, kind of a, a quick choice of titles, you know, um, and I joked with Leonard and uh, Justin that it would be kind of an earworm, walk like a man, anybody who remembers the four seasons. And I didn't, I realized last night that I was actually Frankie Valley who sang this song. So um, if you haven't heard the song, then you can listen to it afterwards. But it wasn't intended to be like only men walk. But in one sense, it has to do with the issue of who we're walking like. And in one sense, which, which man we're walking after. Because in one sense, it'll be either you're walking like Adam or you're walking like Christ in one sense. Because um, when you break it all down, that's really the battle that's constantly going on in this world. And you, you either have eyes to see what the issue is really like, and the scriptures can help you out with that. But even with the scriptures, people can misinterpret and misunderstand what's going on because Galatians, this whole place that we're at, is set in the context of Paul literally starting out his letter saying, have you lost your mind completely? Like you started out in the spirit and now are you being perfected by the deeds of the flesh? Are you so stupid, Galatians, that you don't realize that you can do nothing by the power of your own flesh to achieve the righteousness with which with the with that the law demands. And we don't know exactly what happened, but we think that what's the context of this is sort of a a a kind of a a legalistic sort of um, move within the Christian church to say, hey, you Gentiles are okay, you've kind of like are Christians, but really in order to get to the next level, you need to take on kind of this, the, 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 the law, as it were, as a practice in order to kind of, you know, supercharge your sanctification. And anybody who's dealing with um, 
you know, the issue of whether or not they're, they're really becoming holy in life, having been a Gentile and seeing all the practices of the Jews would be very tempting to say, almost like, you know, kind of like uh, you were um, in the Air Force and you suddenly saw what the Marines are like and maybe you want to become like awesome like them or something like that. And, um, but the, in, in, in a spiritual sense, right, you're, you're kind of taking on all these disciplines, taking on all these laws and regulations. But see, the problem is, is that um, the issue of the flesh in terms of the, the, the sin that enslaved us is way too oppressive, way too powerful for a human being to kind of decide that, you know, I'm going to kind of like apply some sort of technique or psychological attitude towards something and just decide, I don't like doing that anymore and I'm going to stop doing it and I'm going to start doing something else. It's really one of, it's really one of, of more spiritual oppression, spiritual bondage, spiritual slavery, actually almost, par, almost like you're part of a, uh, of, of a nation, so to speak, where you don't even know that you're in this realm and you actually think according to the realm and you do everything according to the realm and you need to be brought out of that death that bondage into a new life. I don't know if you've ever heard that term in the scriptures, new life, new, you know, spirit, um, no longer enslaved to sin. And unless you see that, then you'll never see that the fact that you're, when being in this new life requires a power and a presence that you don't have in and of yourself. It's like, it's almost like the, 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 the sin is in such a category, I was even thinking about it before the service, that you need, that, that like everything that you need in the spiritual life requires that you have to lift, you have to hold 300 pounds over your head all the time, right? And you don't have, that, that's probably a bad analogy because maybe Ron, if he was here, he'd be like, that's fine, I could do that. But not all the time, he'd even need help with that. But the reality is that when we understand that and we understand that there's a constant battle where sin and death is constantly raging against us, then we understand the need for the spirit on that. And then we're not deceived into either two attitudes. One attitude would be like, okay, I see what you're telling me to do. Here's all the laws and the regulations. I've got the Ten Commandments. I'll go ahead and do them, and then by them, I will be righteous, and I will, be, I will have six-pack abs of righteousness and all that other stuff, and I'll be good to go. Or the other option would be that you say, okay, I see what Christ has done. He's done all that stuff, and so all those laws and regulations that you're giving me, I don't need to worry about because Christ has done all of it. And so all of that stuff in the Old Testament, all the laws and everything else, everything that God has told me, it's not really that big of a deal because Christ has done everything. And so I don't need to worry about even trying. There's, no, there's nothing in me that I have to deal with. But when you're in a constant battle against sin and death, then you understand the need for the exhortation that Paul's about to give us. So with that long setup, let's open up our scriptures to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, and please stand for the reading of God's word. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not, let your, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please be seated. So in this first portion, Paul is reminding us that we are called to freedom because he's tried to set that up. He's saying, you are, not, you are no longer under the law. Now, under the law can be misinterpreted to say, okay, the law was for the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. The law has no validity to us. The issue has to do more with um, whether or not one is, is kind of under, un, under the law in terms of a, a sense of this is not your state. Let, let me, the, the interesting thing about that as I was thinking about it is that the older brother in the last um, sermon that we listened to is an example of saying you're no longer supposed to be thinking like the older brother. Remember, what, did he, what was his response to the father? I've been a slave all these years. I've done and I've done and I've done. I do and I do and I do, and this is the thanks I get. I don't ever have a chance to have a party with my friends. I expect that transactionally that I'm righteous, I'm good to go, and dad, why, wh- when, when am I going to you know, get what's coming to me for the things that I do? That is a bondage, that is a slavery to a certain type of attitude under the law that was never intended to accomplish. Paul doesn't have in his language a word for legalism. So he often uses the word law over and over, but in different ways as to say that it's both good in one sense, but also bad in another sense in terms of its abuse. If you do not reckon yourself in terms of the flesh to be, um, if you don't understand the power of the flesh to enslave you and you're enslaved to the flesh, then what you're going to do is apply the law as the Pharisees did. They're going to look at it as a means to righteousness, a set of regulations that can never accomplish anything because the law does not have the power to bring somebody to life. All it can do to a person who's in bondage is say, you shall not sin. And the sinner, the person who's dead in their sins and trespasses just continues to become enslaved and oppressed and more and more 
um, condemned by the law because within their flesh there is no power to accomplish. In fact, the law can only, in one sense, give their flesh an opportunity to say, really, that's a sin too? I didn't even realize that was a sin. Hey, I kind of want to do that. That's like a great idea. Like, that's what Paul says, in fact. Paul says, like, I didn't even know what sin, I didn't even know what covetousness was until it said the law shall not covet, and then the law almost instructs them in new ways to sin. Now, that seems counterintuitive because the law says don't do it, right? And, and everybody's, that, this is part of the reason why Paul has all this opposi- opposition because he says, Paul says that he's against the law, that you're not supposed to keep it. And what Paul is saying is that, no, the law is holy and good. The problem is in the death, the, the category that we have in Adam where we're dead in our sins and trespasses. And the only response that the this, this sinful flesh has to the law is the inability to do it and in, in the provoking of more and more unrighteousness, even as people are kind of walking around like looking all dressed up, but full of dead man's bones, kind of pr- doing almost play acting as if they're fulfilling the law's holy requirements. Are you guys following me? And the problem is not this. The problem is not skin itself, okay? When I say flesh, there's this problem that we had even in the church in the past, kind of this dualism where the where skin is bad and spirit's good. And you've probably heard this before that 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 you know when we when we die, we escape the prison house of the soul. You ever heard that? That the the, the that the body is the prison house of the soul? That's, that's like Greek thought. That's not, or like even pagan or either, uh, even not just Greek, but dualistic ideas like Buddhism and all sorts of other things say, you know, get rid of desire and all these other things, that that's the problem, that, that once you're kind of floating around without a body, you'll be fine. The problem is not skin. It wasn't like we were souls wandering around and then God put us in contact with skin and flesh and our, our souls went, oh no. I become evil and corrupted by touching skin and flesh. No, we are, what happened is in, in, in the fall, everything got corrupted. Our desires are no longer neutral. We have to understand that what's in us is the problem. Like to your own conscience, to your own conscience be true is like from Jiminy Cricket. And if you've ever seen the new um, Puss in Boots movie, that's kind of crazy. Like the Jimmy Cricket in that is awesome. If you haven't seen that movie, it's really good. But um, the, the, the problem with us is actually looking deep inside our hearts. And, if, and when we have eyes to see, we realize, wow, the problem with me all along was the fact that my heart's, my heart was fully corrupted by sin and my only Hope was that Christ made me alive in him and has actually crucified this sin which once enslaved me. He takes away the guilt of it and then actually crucifies not only the guilt that we have, but also in him then the power. We're resurrected and we're free from the condemnation and the power, the dominion of sin over us. You guys, you hear the both and of that? Both the guilt and the dominion of sin are taken away, so we're transported away from that. And that's why he's saying, remember, you've been set free from this bondage that you were once under, but that wasn't freedom so you can just go do whatever you want, which would be kind of strange to think like, um, 
you're set free from sin, and then the first thing you say is, really, that means I can do whatever I want? Like, wait, were you listening to the idea like that the, the, the whole point of, of, of freedom in, in Christ is that you're set free from sin's dominion? Because we're so conditioned to think that the idea of freedom is that we can do whatever we want with no consequences. We can like, heaven, actually in some ways, sometimes I think of heaven as like, someday I'll be able to eat all I want and not have to worry about like working out anymore because I won't have to worry about gaining weight, you know? But that's just kind of like my sinful gluttony speaking, right? It's not necessarily, I wonder what it's going to be like to enjoy meals and actually have moderation and self-control and say, this was great, I can stop right now and not even want to keep eating more and more and more and more. And my wife can attest to that, that I constantly want to eat at night. She's like, are you serious? But anyway, the point is, is that what he's trying to say is that we've been set free from that and don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, I need to explain something because in this next category, again, understand what flesh is. Flesh was this kind of is, is sort of this realm, dominion of sin. Paul says that our, our struggle is not flesh and, against flesh and bl- blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions and that sort of thing. And if you don't believe that stuff, I, can, I can't help you and let, except to say that that's what the scriptures testify, that there is a spiritual realm and that God is, God is in control of all things, but there is a demonic, a sinful realm that is at, at war against us that has dominion over those who are enslaved to sin and would still try to, to attack you if it, it had any uh, ability to, um, well, it still attacks you, but you're no longer enslaved to it. But that sinful flesh still remains. And I'm trying, I've always tried to figure out a way to say that some people say it's kind of like a constant scab on a wound that's never going to go away. Um, and no matter what you do, you're always going to have the flesh with you. And the question is whether or not you're going to recognize it and do battle against it, or you're just kind of going to ignore it. Or if you forget that it's, it's constantly with you, then you're constantly going to be surprised that it's outbreaking, that it's just going to continue to break out. And, you're, and if you don't realize that it's part of what you should have, as a, that you're going to have as a Christian, then then in some categories, people are like, what am I, a Christian? I'm still, I'm still tempted by these things. Yes, Paul says you're still a Christian and you're still tempted by these things. You're united to Christ as a sinner. And so as a sinner, you still have this flesh that's coming against you, that's constantly battling against you. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us. But if we forget it as well, then it's going to, then we're not going to be battling it. We're going to think, oh, I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. In some, in some contexts, and this is what I used to struggle with, um, year, early years in, um, when Sony and I were married, it was kind of this charismatic idea that you would be healed from sin if you could just let go. If you could just have an experience of the Spirit so profound that, 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 that you would lose the, the desire to sin altogether. You would be healed from the flesh, and the only desires that ever proceeded out of your heart would be um, not sinful. And it, it doesn't work that way. You're constantly at battle. You're constantly having to deal with these things. And so now Paul is trying to remind Christians of this. And he says in verses 16 to 21, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or the, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against 
the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. But these are, oppo- but these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are, are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now remember what he says here. The the spirit is against the flesh. There's no accord between them. It's light and darkness. It's the holy God against sin, and he hates sin. He loves his creation, and he especially loves his new creation, but there is nothing in you, when you've heard the term hate the sin and love the sinner, that's actually accurate. God abhors the sin that's in you, and and, and, and the spirit that is within you is not going to be comfortable at all around your flesh. He is going to be working because you're united to Christ to put these things to death. And there is, a, there is cooperation in which you need to be actively engaged in putting these things to death. You need to think of yourself as dead to the power of flesh in your life. You need to think of the fact that when you're tempted by something or you desire to do something that, it, that, that you know is wrong, that you have Christ in you by the Spirit to put these things to death. It gives a list of those things, and, and they're like the works of the, they're, they're, they're kind of like the works of the flesh. And there's various. Um, various versions of them. We obviously think of the headliners like sexual immorality and those sorts of things, but we should never be comfortable around any of the things that happen. We, we should never think like, oh, well, you know, like uh, whatever, we psychologize the reason why we're angry at somebody or, or, or we're offended by somebody and that sort of thing, or somebody said something. I was actually, it, this, I, I don't want to provoke any, well, I don't want to provoke anybody's flesh, but when Bob was mentioning when he, when he called out me earlier, or the Lino family earlier during one of his things, I was thinking, oh man, Bob, I wish you hadn't said that because now somebody's saying, well, why didn't you mention me? You know? And it's, it's sort of like, Bob, it was fine that you did that. I'm not saying that. But see, what happens is that when you hear a list of people, it's almost like this is what sometimes some of us think about is like, we don't want to not mention somebody because then somebody who actually is helping out will, will think about, uh, well, why wasn't I mentioned in that list? I'm working really hard too. And see, that's not, and I'm saying that now to you, not to make you feel guilty about the fact, but th- I have the same problem, but it's not something that where, where it's, it, it's not something that's a good thing. It's something that the flesh is provoking because it wants to see not only us torn down by our pride or the dissension or whatever that's going to cause, but it's, it wants to see the body disrupted by this. And remember, the works of the flesh here are something that we all struggle with, but then it has kind of not only an individual, but a corporate aspect to it, because what happens is that things in the church, and I, I want to say this clearly, 
almost nothing that we do is purely innocent because none of us are not are walking around without none of us are walking around without a sin nature so everything that we do is a little bit tinged with our inability to perfectly do everything you know like and cooperate with the spirit sufficiently so that there's there's something that we did where maybe we could have thought about something a little bit better maybe we should, could have expressed things better but what in even even when we're at our best, what ends up happening a lot inside the church is that things are misinterpreted or people have different desires, people have different expectations. And then these little things, I'm convinced that actually in a lot of cases, what messes up a church as much as kind of like what can really blow up a church quickly is like kind of like the headliners, right? You know what I'm saying? Like the things that happen, like, um, you know, we're very thankful that there's no big scandals, um, you know, with Leonard or anything like that. He's been faithful, and he's a faithful minister, he's a faithful husband, and that sort of thing. And if he wasn't, then that would, like, tear the church apart quickly. But what ends up happening in a lot of cases in churches are the slow grind of things where where people sort of start to get at each other in, in different, like, small ways where one offense turns into another thing, like like an unintended offense, or why isn't he doing that? Why is she saying that? Why isn't he cooperating in this way? Why is... And what happens is that all, all of that is kind of outbreaking the flesh. And if we're not putting it to death actively, then it, it destroys. It does, it works against the spirit. And what we need to remind ourselves is that we're in a constant battle against that. That, the, that there's that, that, that this list of things that are causing us to do that. We can't just look at it and say, oh, I need to, um, I need to just kind of, change the way I'm thinking, and I'm going to do this all on, on my own. I need to read a book on this. What happens, what should happen is as these thoughts come up, we need to be thinking, I need to be putting that to death. Lord, please help me. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot stop thinking about this. It's true of sexual immorality. Lord, I need, to turn my, I need to turn my thinking away from this right away. It's true of envy. It's ter- ter- true of greed. It's true of dissension. All of these things need to be put to death because they are against, they are against the Spirit. They are against what God intends for us. They are against um, what Christ has for us. It's not as if there's sort of this um, idea where there's there's this power like this you you think of like the 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 um, the spirit against the flesh as if it's um, where where we need to kind of activate some sort of special words and the spirit's going to kind of come in power in some sort of charismatic or Pentecostal way where where in a lot of cases what people are always thinking about with the spirit's work is like wow what what what, what's the prophecy that you have for me? What are the, what, let, somebody says something in tongues, will somebody come heal somebody and that sort of thing. That, that kind of stuff is actually a distraction from the Spirit's more powerful work. And it seems very ordinary, but it's quite extraordinary when a congregation can love one another and is united in a, in a common purpose to proclaim the gospel of Christ and continue to move forward. And I got to say in my own life, the most profound part of the Spirit's work in me was, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much different it was coming out of char- charismatic um, life from where I constantly felt like um, in, 
impotent with respect to um, sexual temptation and other kinds of things to a sense of what it meant for the Spirit's work to be able to do things in my life to actually sanctify my thoughts. And if you, if you haven't experienced the Spirit's power in that, but then, then, then I, you know, let, let's talk about that. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that all the things that I saw in, in, in charismatic churches couldn't compare to the sense of empowerment that I felt that I could actually understand how to battle my flesh by Christ's power because I'm united to him. When Christ takes you as a sinner, beloved, when Christ lays hold of you as a sinner, he has put, he has cast his concern on you. You see, this isn't, this isn't something to where um, I'm trying to exhort you to say, you're just not doing it right. Get it right, and then you'll be a, a, enabled by the Spirit. But Christ has taken you from death into life, and he says, those who I have, those who are on my hand, who, whom the Father has given me, no one can snatch out of my hand. He has brought you to his bosom. He's going to say, I know you're a sinner, but, and I know you're still filthy on the inside, but you're united to me, and as far as anybody can see, you are holy in me, and now I'm going to continue to make you more and more holy and conform you more and more to you. And so what I'm doing is I am, am exhorting to you as you, as it were as you're near Christ's bosom and he's helping you in this process. And I'm trying to say to you that the the, the deeds of the flesh that Christ would say, I'm sorry, that Paul would say those who um, do these things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And the reason why they can't is because if they're still enslaved to them, that means they're not in Christ. And that's the whole problem that they have. And what, what we're trying to remind you, what I'm trying to remind you of is that you're in Christ. You belong to him. You are no longer a slave to these things. And so why are any of us still acting as if we're slaves? You guys following what I'm trying to say? If we were set free from these things, then why are we acting as if we still belong to those kinds of things? It's almost as if you're brought from another country, you become an American citizen, and then you're still flying the flag of a foreign country over your house. As if you belong to that. And it's like, why are you doing that? You don't belong to them anymore. That's why when um, in, the, in the Pilgrim's Progress, when Apollyon meets Christian on the road, the king's highway, because Apollyon represents kind of the kingdom of darkness. And, and Christian's on the king's highway, on the, on the way to the great city. And it's kind of this Christian journey through this life. And Apollyon says, hey, you're a, you're a traitor. You belong to me. And Christian says, no, I'm not. I don't belong to you anymore. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the king. You better watch yourself. And they get in this battle. But at no point does Christian yield to the idea that he is still a subject of that other kingdom. You see what I'm trying to say? And everything that, he, everything that he falls back on may give the illusion that he's a citizen of that kingdom, but he's never lost his citizenship in the kingdom in which all of that power of, of sin has been put to death. All of, the, uh, all of the things that accord with the flesh have been put to death and no longer belong to Christian. So Paul continues... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I don't know if anybody else is able to read that passage without kind of that song in their minds. <laughs> but um, notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the works of of the flesh, which are many, because it's going to break itself out in many different ways. And what I want to tell you is that corruption and that flesh that you're still battling with, there is nothing of that corruption and flesh that is unique to you that is not true of others, because it's the realm of darkness that it's at battle against your souls. And so when temptations come, I don't want you to feel particularly revolted by yourself as if nobody else is experiencing these things other than me. The the corruption that is in you is capable, and the corruption that's in me is capable of any sin against God that is possible. And don't think yourself too highly because you got to recognize that that's still in you, and that if it wasn't for Christ in you, then you would be utterly hopeless without it. But, But see, what happens is that when you are united to Christ, he, he, that means that you're united by his spirit to him and you have the fruit of the spirit. Because you're grounded in him, then the spirit is going to produce fruit in you. It's the fruit of the spirit. The, the spirit produces fruit in you. All of these things come. You, we obviously want to be trying to, um, uh, as it were, uh, when we're tempted to do something, we want to kind of not sow into that where we say, S-O-W, where we say, um, I, I'm not going to give into that temptation. Lord, help me not to be tempted in this way. I'm going to try and turn my attention to something else. And we try to invest and sow into those kinds of things so that we are able to, to be more and more like Christ. But what the Spirit does is is he produces love in us, love for God and love for the brethren, love for the sisters in the church, in the children. Joy, not in the sense of just a constant happiness, but in a sense of what Christ has procured for us and the expectation of what he's going to do. Patience. Now, this is sometimes where I wonder if I've got the fruit of the Spirit. But patience, as God would give us to, to understand that God is long-suffering with sinners and, that we, and, and, and giving us patience not only for the things done against us, but also for the time that we have remaining, um, ex- expecting, you know, how long will this battle go on? Kindness, which should mark all Christians in terms of how we deal with others, how we're perceived by others. Goodness, in terms of our, our dealings with others and how we um, how we uh, spend our time and our resources and our in, in our affections, faithfulness in terms of our integrity, the ability to, to, to stay steadfast in what we've promised to do and and um, and not to be wavering, gentleness in our approach. It's easy to kind of um, proclaim all these things, but then have a haughty spirit. But how do we do that with gentleness towards one another and self-control, the ability to kind of um, forego, um, forego that which is comfortable for us and to do the things which, which God has called us to do? I was thinking about that, this, um, that I remember during um, OIF1, I had to sleep in like 
all my mop gear and my flak jacket all the time, which was really uncomfortable. I could sleep, but like it was so super hot, even in March in in um, in Kuwait. And you know, mop gear is like the 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 stuff that you wear in case there's a chemical or biological attack. So it's kind of like you're already wearing long sleeves, but you're putting on winter clothes, and then you're it's a hundred plus degrees and humid outside, and then you put a flak jacket on top of that, and so you're trying to you're trying to st- stay um, comfortable. The problem is, is that, you know, if you take it off just because you want to be comfortable, you're open for attack. And that's kind of what, it's kind of what God is calling us to, is that you can't necessarily look for comfort in this life. You have to be looking towards that which accords with what you're trying to do. If, do you understand that you're under spiritual attack and, and do you want to be pressing forward? Or do you want to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to take my armor off for a while. And even though that leaves me open to attack, I just, you know, this has just gotten a little bit more than I want to do right now. And so we have to have self-control. And the only way to to deal with our passions and desires and, and to war against the desires that don't accord is to, to, to kind of take it seriously. To take things seriously is not legalistic. Do you understand? Like being laid back on the law about, the, the, about holiness is not a fruit, okay? It's not, it's not in the list, see? Fruit of the Spirit is not being laid back. You see it's not there? It, didn't, it wouldn't even rhyme, so there you go. So, <clears throat> concluding this, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This has the idea of kind of formation marches, which Alina is going to get a lot of soon. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, I was still thinking about that recently. I don't know why. Well, it came up here. I remember it was, it was one of those years where I was kind of helping train as a midshipman, other new midshipmen, and some people have very little coordination. It's like thinking, really, it's you, you, if almost if you think about it too hard, you're gonna, you, you can't keep in step. And some people like walk like this, and it's like, no, you, you don't, you actually don't swing your arms that way, but you're trying so hard. But the point is, is that there is a sense in which we are called to be in step with one another. We're called to, in, in, in a certain fashion, this is what the whole point of this is. He's trying to say the fruit of the Spirit is not evident here to Galatians. It's kind of ironic that, that they're being called to legalism by others in the church, and what is going on in the church is all sorts of dissensions and all sorts of, like, not unity. That the funny thing about legalism, when everybody's tell, hammering you about being under the law, is that it doesn't produce righteousness, and so that's what happens is there's all sorts of gossip, all sorts of the underlying things, because people are powerless to do anything about the law if they're under the bondage of the law as a way to righteousness. And the only freedom that we have to actually be united together is to be 
living by the Spirit, to be living according to what Christ provides, but still using the law as a guide. It's sort of like if you want that the law is the train tracks and the engine is the gospel and the Spirit. That te- the law tells us how we should go in terms of like that this, it, it shows us the right way. It, 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 it kind of reveals to our hearts the ways that we're a sinner, but then we need the Spirit to help us to proceed in the way that we should go. And the goal is then that the things that come out of us, you don't need a law to tell you what to do because the ways that you love your neighbor come out in ways that you could never expect. It's sort of like um, defining who your neighbor is, is situationally dependent. When Jesus is asked, who's my neighbor, the lawyer expects him to kind of give him a list of things like, you know, uh, a list of things like in a, a bathroom in, in a, in a, um, in a, uh, in a, uh, an airplane where you're not supposed to mess with the smoke detector and all the ways in which you can't mess with the smoke detector say, well, if I touch it, but don't tamper with it, am I okay? No, they have don't touch it. So it's not a list of like, is he still my neighbor if he's this and all that other stuff? You see what I'm saying is that you could, the, the law can't provide what the Spirit can because what happens with love and service and accord are things that are beyond the law's power to describe because the law is basically there to keep us from, to keep our flesh from doing certain things or to, 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 to legislate against the things that are wrong in a lot of cases, but it can't possibly comprehend all of the ways in which the Spirit empowers us to love and serve one another. And if you're looking for the scriptures, as it were, to give you a blueprint for everything that you need to do throughout the day, as far as like, well, am I supposed to turn right? Am I supposed to turn left? Am I supposed to use uh, two-ply or three-ply toilet paper or whatever? You know, there's, you know, if you need that, then you go to the Quran for those kinds of answers. They've got all sorts of details as far as what it looks like to, to um, even in a holy way to wipe your backside and that sort of thing. But that's not what the scriptures are intended for. The scriptures are there by the gospel to make us alive in Christ, to bring us from death to life, to to bring us from a a condition of, uh, of being wholly incapable of obeying the law at enmity with God, at, um, uh, at strife with one another, heading towards hell, and then we're brought into Christ's presence, and he lifts us up, and he cleans us up, and, he's, and, and, we're, and, we're, and we're now united to him. We're now no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, and then we're brought into communion with others in the church, and because we love Christ, we love one another, and we learn as we're as we're walking with the Spirit, we start to keep in step with each other because we see what the needs are. We see what the requirements are. We see as others need them. And, and the Spirit's putting to death when somebody maybe takes a step that we don't like. We don't just say, get out of the formation. I don't want you here anymore. We continue to walk with them. We continue to work with them. We continue to encourage them forward. We continue to walk through with them through the grief. We... we continue to, um, to rejoice with those who are joyful. We continue to encourage those who are faint-hearted and weary. We continue to remind people, no, you're not, you're not cast out because you sinned. We're all sinners, and we 
Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's at the front of the formation. He's still there with us. He's still the power by which we're doing this. And of course, you are tempted by sin because you're a sinner united to Christ. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Remember, we're all sinners here. And so this is what it's like to live the Christian walk. And all of, this, the, all of the, the stuff in Galatians 6 is application of that. How are we going to one another these things? How are we going to one another the love that the Spirit's producing by the fruit that he's producing in us? This is the Christian life, beloved. And so I I just want to encourage you that this is difficult, but it's empowered by the Spirit. And so I don't want you to grow discouraged to think, well, goodness, what am I going to do? It seems like I've got a long list of things I need to do, a long list of things that I've been doing wrong. And, And all I'm encouraging you, again, is to just look to Christ, to be reminded of the power of the gospel It wasn't as if you came looking for salvation. Salvation came looking for you and changed you and will continue to change you. And and all all I'm encouraging you to do is to be reminded that that sin that comes near you is not your friend. There's nothing about sin that is to be taken a break from. There's nothing about sin that you should be thinking, oh, it's going to leave me alone for a while because I had victory. If, if I could remind you of anything, that sin is one of those things that's constantly against you and, and has its eye for you, but Christ is faithful by his spirit. And the fact that you may fall into those things doesn't mean that Christ by his spirit will be unfaithful to you. He'll continue to work, work, work on you and will perfect you. And all I'm encouraging you to do is to continue to look to Christ for the power to do battle with sin in your members, and that we would continue to march in step with one another, and um, Christ will provide the power to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you for your Spirit who is perfecting us, and we see in ourselves the sin that would continue to ensnare us, the flesh that would do battle against our souls. We ask that you would not um, let us to grow weary, allow us to grow weary or faint-hearted, but continue to encourage one another daily. That you would continue to help us to be, keep in step with one another. That you would um, remind us in our own hearts of the ways in which we've um, forgotten these things. Not that we might condemn ourselves, but that we might see in ourselves the flesh that battles against us and has maybe caused us to to um, to lose some some affection for one another or some or to or or in some ways uh, allowed a root of bitterness to grow because we have not put to death certain attitudes that we had towards things and help us to to recognize these things in ourselves and by your strength to put them to death and to live by the spirit in Jesus name amen